Welcome back to Talking Lead. This is episode 38. How's it going, Left Hand? It's going great, buddy. Did you have a good week this week? I did. I've had a busy week this week. Awesome. A lot of fun stuff. Well, let's go ahead and thank our sponsors real quick. So you're just going to ask me what I did and jump into that, huh? No, I'm going to go back to it afterwards. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come back to me. Yeah, I won't leave you hanging too bad. All right. Thanks to U.S. Elite Gear. That's uh, our good buddies at us-elitegear.com. Check those guys out for all your kit needs. Firearms Radio Network for our bandwidth sponsor, firearmsradio.tv. Holder and Green Professional Real Estate Services, HG Press with Benchmark out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can contact them directly at area code 615. No, it's not. It's an 800 number. (laughs) (laughs) Contact them at 1-800-615-1840, extension 2222. And they can help you with all your Middle Tennessee real estate needs. Also, All or Nothing Tattoo Studio. That's allornothingtattoo.com. And their very gun-friendly merchandise store, strangleholdmerch.com. And speaking of All or Nothing... You want to talk about your new edition? I did get a new edition. So you can personally attest to their service. Yes. I got a tattoo from Dave Tedder, one of their top tattoo artists down there. It was Friday the 13th on 2013. 2013. And they were having a $13 tattoo special. <laughs> and so you got a... I got a number 13, which is my lucky number anyways. And Friday the 13th has always been a good day for me. So it ended up being a good day that day too. Because you got a tattoo? I for did. For $13. Yeah, exactly. So it was your lucky day. Yeah, it was many lucky things. <laughs> also, I want to apologize to Mike McMahon, the guy that's going to be doing my sleeve when I eventually get it. Mike McMahon. I keep calling him McMahon. Isn't he that WWF guy? No. Mike McMahon is the guy I'm going to be working with trying to get the sleeve done. Uh, But him, Dave Tedder, all those guys down at All or Nothing Tattoo. And also J.P. Alfonso. He's a new guy they got from Cuba. Wow. From Cuba? From Cuba. He's amazing. He's got an awesome story, too. They recruited from Cuba, huh? Yeah. He's got a really cool story. I didn't know in, in Cuba, tattoos are illegal. Really? And he was doing it kind of underground things. There's a lot of things in Cuba that are... Illegal. That's why they come to America. But as far as guns, I didn't do much with guns this week. So we shall see. Well. What about you? What did I do? Now, see, I was on a roll when you first asked me. I had, <laughs> I had my train of thought going. I was ready to jump on it, and now I've screwed the pooch on what I did. Pepper and I, you know, she's got the, um, the little Smith & Wesson Bodyguard 380. Yeah. And uh, she's been just super covered up busy, but we've been trying to get her a holster. So we went and... We were shopping around for some holsters this week. And although we didn't find her a carry holster, we did find her a nice little pocket holster that she can put it in her purse. And, you know, at least it's not just sitting there fumbling around in her purse. But she is now dedicated to carrying every day. So, you know, she's got her permit and we've taken the next step. We've got the holster for her. And uh, next step is we're going to get her a, a nice carry holster. So anybody out there that can suggest for a bodyguard Smith & Wesson Bodyguard 380, that's the semi-auto. Uh, for a female, some good experiences that you've had with some holsters. Uh, we'd like to hear some of your suggestions. Awesome. And also, we've both been continually growing our hair out. And it looks like you grew more hair than I did. Remember, yeah. we're, we're doing yeah. the fundraiser for Hawks Locks for Kids. Go to hawkslocksforkids.org. We're growing our hair out. If you want to do it with us, send us an email, Facebook message, something. Show us a before picture and after. And then after a year, we'll all get it cut. And uh, speaking of long hair... We, <laughs> Our guest. We have a special <laughs> guest here. Rob Pincus. how you doing, man? I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing very good. How's that hair growing coming along? It's, uh, I'm just going to send a check, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll 
work. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send you some, maybe I, a bottle of Rogaine I had in, in like '95. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I gave up on something. I'll try. I'll contribute in some way, but it's not going to be any locks. That's the spirit. <laughs> Even though you know you may not be doing the hair growth thing, there's still ways you can contribute and make it happen. Absolutely. It's a way to step up, Rob. <laughs> of course, a lot of our listeners know who you are, but our, when we announce our sponsor, ICE Training, Rob Pincus is the founder of that company. Combat focused shooting trainer creator right you created the whole combat focus shooting thing right yeah yeah actually you know we, we'll probably talk about that later I, yeah. it, it, exactly how that creation happened this is our 10th anniversary of cfs and kind of i'd love to talk a little bit about the the background of that and oh yeah we've got a whole team of guys uh who, who really have helped incredibly with the evolution of that program over the last 10 years what did you get to do with guns this week Probably a lot, right? Uh, let's see. So this week, actually, no, it's funny. I'm in the middle of my bad states tour. So uh, uh. <laughs> I'm in New York right now and teaching uh, in, in New York State over the weekend. And uh, I was in Massachusetts um, there with the Gun Owners Action League. And uh, I was teaching there and um, did some great classes. And then the week before that, I was in New Hampshire, which is obviously a very uh, pro-gun, a, a very good good gun state. Mm-hmm. And uh so, uh, you know, as usual, I don't get to shoot all that much, but um, we, we did some great time on the range and uh, lots and lots of students. We had five, uh, four full classes and one uh, advanced class that was actually run at a new, um, for, to help form a new training community at a range that's existed since 1906, but they never have hosted training before. They never had self-defense training. So it's something new wow. for them. Wow. And I, I love building new training communities. So we did a, uh, a class that was about half full uh, for them to help them kind of jumpstart their uh, their program. Now, do you find when you go to these states, when you you're unfriendly, and we know you're kidding when you say that, do you get people that pick it or protest you to any of the events that you do? No, no, not at all. I'm not that important. I don't I don't get protested. Oh, come on. That's bullcrap. Uh, I know get you protested are. by people inside the gun community. <laughs> think more. <laughs> and that's a, that's a topic we're going to talk about a little bit later, too. Uh, as you bring that up, I do have a question for you. I was talking to a friend of ours, Twenty Two Plinkster. Do you are you familiar with Twenty Two Plinkster? Uh, only by rep, you know, online. Okay, see, and, and that's what I was telling him. I said we're having Rob Pincus on, and he goes, "Tell him I said hi," although he doesn't know who I am. Plinkster is like almost overly humble sometimes and i was like i'm sure he knows who you are he goes well he did send out a tweet to follow me or he retweeted somebody that said something about me and i'm like see but i just want i wanted him to hear it from the horse's mouth not saying that you're a horse or anything but thanks buddy (laughs) so he gets that twenty dollars now rob thanks yeah Yeah. appreciate that i'll split i'll split it with you Hey, Ralph, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at 8th and I. It is time for the talking lead jack wagon of the week, so brace yourself, baby. So, this week's jack wagon. We've got a lot that we could go with on them. There's all kinds of ways we could go with this jack wagon. You want to do yours first or mine? Let's go ahead and go with, with yours. Okay. Well, we went back and forth on who to throw on the jack wagon train, especially with the Navy shipyard shooting. Everything that went on with that. Was it going to be the shooter? Was it going to be whatever? But we've decided that we are going to put the VA system on the jack wagon train this week. Because, what was it, two years prior, he went to the VA, said, I'm having issues, I'm hearing voices. He had a whole history. 
Yeah. I mean, he's and been several times. It just seems like he days, fell through the cracks. The days leading slow. up to that where he called the police two or three times about him hearing voices and people chasing around with microwaves, keeping him awake at night. I mean, there's a whole slew. And what, did, did, I've, I've read this story. I don't know how, how much truth there is, but he actually shot the tires out of one of his neighbor's car because they parked wrong or something. That, that was, uh, you know, another story. Again, it's from the media, so most of them have... Con- confirm that story so yeah i mean that's probably true uh but the the bottom line is this guy had a whole history of things that should have prevented him one from getting any kind of clearance into that naval base Mm -hmm. whatsoever so uh, not just the va but you know they're a good one to put on there but there's a whole slew of people that yeah rob did you have anything to to say about the the first jack wagon there you know it that whole situation is just so much going on there and and clearly there's a history that should have been acted on that we can see in hindsight. You know, I look back to like when I was a police officer, we'd have we'd have interactions with people who clearly, you know, they they weren't stable. They were, you know, I, I vividly remember one thing that, that when you guys were just talking, a guy who, you know, swore he was being chased by aliens. And, you know, one of those things, and a, and a partner of mine and I, you know, there's only so much you, you're empowered to do as a police officer on the street. Now, if that guy had shot up a, a school the next week, and and somebody said, well, you know, you guys had a chance to stop it. You know, I, I don't know. I don't the way the system is set up. It's mm-hmm. it's very very difficult. It's to, a very fine line, isn't it? Yeah, to be able to say, well, that we should have put that guy in jail. We should have had him locked up. We should have had him, you know, put in an institution. Right. Um, when when he wasn't hurting anybody at that moment. Now, on the other hand, this shooter clearly the fact that he was shooting up tires and and supposedly you know shot a. a Shot in a, uh, into a wall or into a the shot ceiling a ceiling, floor. yeah. Shot yeah. up into the ceiling, yeah. Uh, up to the next floor of the uh, the apartment complex. I mean, there was a lot. There were, and what I what I've tried to get guys to understand is it. This is about demonstrated histories of or propensity for violence. That's what we need to focus on because I know there's a lot of veterans out there who are very very worried about the issue of PTSD being drawn into the issue of mental health and the restriction of firearms rights. And I think there's a huge 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 difference between somebody who just says, "Look, I'm not right right now. I need some help. I'd like to talk to somebody," you know, whether that's counseling or medication or even just uh, you know, uh, an examination. People should not be afraid of getting that help, and especially our veterans, we need to to help, have them get the help they need, and that's very very different than a demonstrated propensity for violence. Which, in which case, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. if someone's you know taking violent action against other people completely out of nowhere, we need to make sure they're not getting their hands on firearms, they're not driving a car, and maybe they're not even out on the street yeah. until that gets better. Or you know, if it's not going to get better, it's not going to get better. But there, there has to be a wall in people's minds, a rational, intelligent conversation between dealing with the mental health issue and not being afraid that this means all of our veterans are going to get their guns taken They're away. They're going to have their rights taken away. And you bring up a great point there, Rob, and we've talked to uh, a couple of our friends that are veterans, and they flat out said they were afraid to go in and talk to anybody about after their battle experiences because they were so afraid that they were going to get labeled with uh, PTSD and have their their gun rights taken away from them. You know, just the just the thought of maybe just mentioning it to you know to somebody to try to talk you know about their issues and problems that they're that they were having. They said that they've just seen it happen so much that they're just automatically labeled with the the post traumatic stress disorder. And you know, there's got to be something done about that. And that's where the intrepid fallen heroes fund that we've talked about on the show a couple times. That's what they're doing is they know that there's kind of a disconnect with the VA and PTSD. 
in certain situations there where somebody will go in and they've got a they've got an issue and the VA just kind of puts them into the system and they sit back and wait. And what they're doing is they're building separate mental hospitals next to huge military base hospitals specifically for traumatic brain injury and PTSD to where if you or I are a veteran and we walk in, we're like, Hey, I'm having some crazy thoughts, voices in my head. I shot up my neighbor's car. They take you in right there. They've got the top of the line brain scan, psychiatrists, psychologists, neurosurgeons, everything you need. And you're in their system from the moment you tell them that. So that's a really good organization. Too. And they don't have to worry about, you know, all this going to another agency and then them losing their gun rights. And you know. I think that's part of the concern, but, but at some point, I mean, we can't we can't pretend that there are no veterans who shouldn't be around guns. Like we can't that either, because we know there there are police officers, there are priests, there are veterans, there are there are people in every you know job description you can think of yep. who could be violent tomorrow. And mm-hmm. we've seen that in the past. And and people talk about how do I screen people to take you know a combat focused shooting class, for example? Do I require a background check? Do I require you know a statement of good conduct from a local you know? politician or whatever. All of those things to me are so superficial and so meaningless at the end of the day when we know that we have had, I mean, you know, look what happened at Fort Hood. Here's yeah. a military officer in the mental health arm of medicine. Yep. Yeah. You know, like I could, how, who's going to screen that guy? So I think that we, we have to be really honest about that and, and know that, that maybe a couple of those guys I don't, I'm not a big fan of the blanket. We will. We promise you're not going to get in any trouble. Or you're never going to get your guns taken away if you come into this building. Guess what? Some of the people that are going to go to that building, we, we need to take care of them. And yes, we need sure. to make sure that their families and their neighbors and their communities are safe if somebody's having problems. And that's a hard, hard conversation to have. And, and you know, people can misquote that or take that the wrong way. But but I, all I'm trying to say is there is a responsible way to deal with this conversation without fear. But it has to be honest. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so my jack wagon, and, and I can't let this go. It's got to be said. Just, just the sheer irresponsibility of the media again in the reporting of this, and them trying to be, you know, the first one with the breaking story. Uh, you know, the first thing you heard was, you know, he's got an AR. Yeah, you know, he had an AR. He was using an AR. Or, or CNN said he bought an AR-15 shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all that stemmed from a chief medical examiner to where the first victims were taken, the first gunshot victims were taken. And she came out with a statement to the media uh, that she, based on what she's heard from the victims, it had to be a semi-automatic type weapon that did this. <laughs> well, first off, she, what kind of gun experience does this lady have? We have no idea. What kind of uh, treatment of gunshot wounds does she have? She could have been a pediatrician or something like that. You know, what's her specialty? What makes her the expert to determine, based on what these people are telling her, or basically what they've told her staff, which her staff has told her, you know, she's probably getting it third, fourth uh, story by this time. And it's just sheer irresponsibility by that person in general, and then the media to take that and run with it without questioning the credentials that the information is coming from. Because we know the media is really intelligent well i think by now everybody <laughs> knows that you can't believe what you hear from the media hopefully especially when they said all the bullets he had loaded in his shotgun <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing you know people are hearing this they're not actually listening to what they're saying the words they're saying they're just it, it's a tragedy for one so people are in shock and you know they're just taking bits and pieces of what's being told to them at, at this point yep. and you know who is holding that the media responsible for for all this you know misrepresentation of of stories like this. You know, they get away scot-free 
with no repercussion whatsoever. And I, uh, to me, that's just preposterous. So, yeah, there's my addition to the jack wagon train. It's a big train this week. Oh, yeah. So, Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into guns in the first place? Oh, I got into guns uh, at a, a young age. I had my first... Uh, 22 action or 22, 22 action. Here I'm part of the media now. (laughs) 22 uh, long rifle bolt action uh, rifle about six, six or seven years old. I um, had a BB gun before that even, you know, so about that, about that time, I guess. But the, um, my history of firearms really started with an, an access to responsible introduction because my dad was a police officer. So with him having, you know, some idea of firearm safety and competency, I think he was comfortable um, at whatever point introducing me to firearms. But, you know, the family lore um, is that I was really interested in it. And we certainly don't have there's not a you know, there was no traumatic event. There was no uh, uh, there was no issue of somebody else in my family being a diehard shooter for mm-hmm. my dad. The, the firearm was really just part of his job. It was part of his equipment that he, he had. But I definitely was interested in them. And uh, from a very uh, young age, interested in the context of what he did with firearms and then military use of firearms and, you know, what eventually would turn into the issue of personal defense more for me than anything else. But, um, there was a, there, I was back home several years ago and, uh, at my mom's place and ran into a former neighbor who had uh, been on a SWAT team with a local city. And they were the first SWAT team to get the, uh, to get Glocks in the country. And, uh, and, and that, that, you know, that's the legend anyway. But so the Atlantic city SWAT, uh, team, <laughs> Atlantic city police department SWAT team had, uh, had these Glocks very, very early, um, you know, like, like still late eighties, 87, something like that. And, and they, um, he, when he got that gun, he knew that the crazy kid, like two doors down who used to, when he was doing an expansion on his house a year or so earlier, I had, was taking scrap wood and making targets, uh, target stands and stuff. So, he knew I'd be interested in it, and he was like, hey, check out this new gun I got. And, I mean, at the time, I was you know, 13 years old, 14, 15 years old during this era. So from a very young age, I was interested in not just firearms and shooting, but really this this defensive or tactical professional use of firearms. Tell us a little bit, and we know you've got this, your military or law, law enforcement background. Yeah, just briefly. You know, I always, I always say, you know, I spent like two minutes in the military and, and about seven in, in law enforcement. And... I went to a military college. Um, I was very interested in a military experience, um, not necessarily a military career. And at one point, I was actually looking at going to one of the academies. And uh, I had a at a meeting um, conversation with Senator Sam Nunn uh, about that. You know, because you have to be sponsored by a senator. And I was down in Georgia mm-hmm. at the time, finishing high school, and uh, had a kind. He was like chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee. I mean, he was. You know, he was the man. He he knew what he was talking about in regard to the military. So this was an important meeting and, you know, really going to be important to my, my life, obviously, in career and college life anyway. And in that conversation, he asked me if I, you know, why I wanted a career in the military. And I said, well, I really, really didn't want a career in the military, but I wanted the experience. I wanted the leadership development in it. And he uh, recommended that I take a look at a school uh, in Vermont called Norwich University, which was the birthplace of ROTC. It's the oldest private military college in the country. It's uh, almost 200 years old uh, now. And um, he he described it as, you know, at the academies, you have about one military representative for every 30 to 50 cadets telling you what to do all along the way and kind of grooming you for a a position inside of that military machine. And at Norwich, 
you have, you know, 1,200, 1,300 cadets and there's like six people in the commandant's office and it's a cadet-led corps. And it, it's, uh, it, was, it was founded by the second uh, director of, the, of West Point. And, and when the government wanted to require military service for, for engineering and military education, he left and said, you know, we're going to form our own private academy because I don't believe in mandatory service. I believe in the citizen soldier. And uh, that, and and to this day, Norwich University still has a special relationship with uh, the U.S. military, uh, which is controlled by Congress, where we are guaranteed slots and commissioning spots in the Army, and uh, we have all four branches of service. And there was even a Peace Corps preparatory program at Norwich at one point. And uh, while I was there, uh, I did complete the uh, Army ROTC program and got my commission in the U.S. Army Reserve. Uh, and although I did not uh, really do anything with that, I ended up getting out and uh, was honorably discharged in 97. And then uh, along the way, I did a lot of private security work, uh, executive protection and, and otherwise, otherwise uh, a lot of training in that realm as well. And then I was a police officer for a few years uh, up in northern Virginia and uh, also a reserve officer for a long time, reserve deputy for a long time, both in Tennessee and in Colorado. So... You know, definitely not a career in either of those uh, endeavors, but uh, a lot of experience and exposure and, and uh, you know, some very valuable lessons learned. Oh, certainly. Now, yeah. now, when you were a police officer in Tennessee here in the uh, Nashville area, right? I was I was a reserve deputy uh, just north of Nashville, yeah. And now, then uh, I ended up uh, doing, a, doing a lot of really interesting work. Um, I had, had some very good friends uh, that I was able to uh, learn a lot of really good lessons from and, and do some work with uh, with Nashville Metro and then after I was in Virginia, when I moved back, I worked in law enforcement again in, in Middle Tennessee for a short time. And I was part of a multi-jurisdictional um, crisis negotiations team at that time. And uh, I was actually in Nashville at a uh, crisis negotiations team multi-jurisdictional uh, training uh, on 9-11. Oh, wow. And it was right at that time that I was making the transition into the, the private sector because I knew at that by that time – I'm just not good at bureaucracy, <laughs> not good, uh, <laughs> not good at, in, in that world. And I knew I, I really felt strongly I could do more good and, and make a much bigger impact uh, in making people safer doing what I'm doing now. And uh, nice. so that, that started in 2001. When you were in Nashville, is that where you saw the guy being chased by the alien? No, no, no. Because <laughs> I was going to say, man, that's Nashville. We just crazy drunk rednecks. You looked familiar when we met. <laughs> Uh, no, no, that was I was up in Virginia. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's the same thing. <laughs> probably a Nashvilleian that was in Virginia at yeah. the time. <laughs> when it comes to pop culture, whether it's a movie, TV show, book, video game, music, music video, when it when it involves firearms, what's your favorite? What's your go-to? There's a. I think there has to be different categories because to 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 be taken seriously is one thing but i like i mean if you just want to if somebody wants to see cool gun stuff uh-huh. it's got to be equilibrium you know i almost watched that the other night i haven't seen it yet what is that Tell i me saw it on netflix equilibrium is cool gun stuff you got to check that out and then Isn't it christian from, bale or it is yeah, yeah. yeah and from a cool from like a use of guns like a real use of guns my one of my all-time favorite scenes has to be raiders of the lost ark Come oh on. yeah, nice. Yeah, when, when the guy does all the fancy, you know, Sinbad <laughs> with the sword. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have time for this. I got to defend myself. I pull out a revolver. You know, that's... exactly. Yeah, I've got to check out that Equilibrium movie. I almost watched it the other night on Netflix. I ended up watching something else. So it is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I'll watch it tonight then. Yep. 
Equilibrium. Cool. All right, so this next one is kind of a... Uh, we'll start off one way. If it doesn't go, go good, then we'll, we'll switch gears and go the other way with it. Is there or has there ever been a gun in your possession that you were ashamed to admit to owning? Or even just a little embarrassed. <laughs> uh, well... Yes, because obviously, like two things jumped into my head really quick. Uh, <laughs> so I did at one point, and now you know I, I, I can't even remember now what it was. I had a um, it was a 1911 copy from South America somewhere. <laughs> the llama. The llama. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had a llama. Yeah. Reaper 03. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, no, now I have, I actually, you know, Naringo at one point was, was a, a, for a guy on a budget, that was a good gun to use as the basis for building your own gun. Uh-huh. And I, I still to this day have a, uh, have a gun that I, I put together myself. The only, the only 1911 that I really just kind of went from, from nothing to a gun worth having with nothing but parts on a frame and slide started as a Naringo. And then, uh, and that was like 95, I don't know, something like that. So, uh, I, I hold the Norinco in higher esteem than the, the, the Yama. <laughs> do you still have the Norinco? I do. Yeah, I still have them. In fact, it has a 465 Roland conversion barrel nice. and muzzle brake on it. <laughs> you have to send us a picture of that. I want to see it. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. Cool. And this seems Wait, to be I got a... another one. Oh, okay. Another nice. ashamed gun? I have. I have a uh, a copy of a baby Browning, uh-huh. which is like stamped aluminum. I don't know what it's a silver, <laughs> and and it has like fake mother of pearls grips. Yes, <laughs> and and icing on the cake. There, I actually there was about uh, a I don't know a week to two week long period that I carried it in a boot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bet you not limped a little it, bit with that, didn't you? Not it, but it happened. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I, think, I think you have I, topped everyone else's embarrassing gun with that one. <laughs> I totally thought that was awesome at the time. <laughs> That's hilarious. Gangsta pink. But you don't you don't have that any longer, correct? Oh, I have it. You still have <laughs> I don't have the boots. But. You got rid of the boots before you got rid of the gun, huh? I still have the gun. I got rid of the boots. All right, I want pictures of that gun, too. (laughs) (laughs) I got to see it. I love it. Is there a gun that you once had in your collection that you wish you could have back? Yeah, I I had my the gun that I grew up shooting most more than anything else was a Ruger Mark II. Um, You know, from the ages of, you know, I don't know, like 10 to 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. And I wish I still had that. And I sold it when I was in college and uh, really wish I had it. You know, and I, and since then I I have the other Ruger twenty twos, but I I wish I had that exact that exact one. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. And what's what's a gun that's on your wish list, like your bucket list, your next one you just gotta have? I'm kind of enamored with the 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 look and feel of the uh, the ACR from Remington. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I but you know tw- spending that much money on on a gun as a novelty, which is you know because I'm I'm so familiar obviously with the AR platform and yeah. and uh, sure. have so many of them. I don't know that I'll ever run out and buy one, but I think that's a pretty cool, pretty cool gun. But I've I've got a lot of, a lot of different guns. I just had a student go through the class with a six twenty five performance center and uh, running it with moon clips. You know, going through she, she shot, <laughs> wow, she shot like a thousand eleven hundred rounds of forty five, <laughs> and uh, 
standing on a line with a bunch of modern striker fired guns and uh, doing a two day combat focus shooting class. And she was so impressive with it that it it, it kind of made me want to get better at running a a revolver again. You know, I mean, I I, I run a J frame. You know, I think decently, but mm. there's only so much you can do with J frame in that context yeah. when you pair it with something like a really nice tuned either the uh, 686 or the uh, 625. So, What's I, that, that big hoss you had today? Yeah, I, th- I finally found a revolver that fits my gigantic hands that I may get as a backup gun. <laughs> backup <laughs> gun. Oh, my God. <laughs> the uh, Ruger Super Red Hawk Alaskan and 454 oh, yeah. Casual. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only gun I've seen in his hand that didn't look miniature. I saw a picture of me standing next to Zeke today, and I look miniature. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, how do you think I feel standing next to him all the time? <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. So we started touching on it a minute ago. So I'm taking steroids. Yeah. (laughs) We started touching on it a minute ago. Tell us about the evolution of ICE training, personal defense network, all. Uh, Well, uh, let's start. We can start with combat focus shooting. That's what we started talking about earlier. Combat focus shooting is in its 10th anniversary. I've been been scouring around a little bit, but, you know, I'm kind of a nomad, so I'm always in hotels and laptops and stuff like that. Somewhere there will be – there's a document that will tell me when the exact first combat focus shooting class was, but I know it was September of 2003. That much wow. I know. So we're celebrating our 10th anniversary this whole year. Um, we've got some special little challenge coins we're giving out to everybody who takes a CFS class with me. Um, we're going to have our, our sixth annual instructor conference out uh, in Bakersfield, California next week, and uh, that'll be the official 10th anniversary party for combat focus shooting. And... Uh, you know, essentially, the, my, like I said, I've been thinking about this stuff and, and developing, you know, I guess my ethos or my approach to defensive shooting for a long time. But it really started to formalize and crystallize in the, in the mid-90s because as I got exposed to professional training more and more and more, whether it was military, law enforcement, or then in the private sector, I, I kind of just became more and more frustrated with the disparity between that and what we were seeing in dash camera videos, surveillance camera videos, and in high-level reality-based training. So in this era of the mid-'90s, there was this perfect storm of reality that kind of hit the, the industry along with a huge influx of like a new generation of instructors because that first generation of instructors from the 70s and 80s was, was starting to get into the retirement and you know kind of moving on and, and doing their thing. And this, the new generation of instructors had these tools – you know, they, we always say we stand on the shoulders of great men, but we also have tools and resources that they just didn't have, you know? Sure. Uh, you know, the early astronomers looked up at the sky at night and made things up uh, because they didn't have, you know, telescopes. Once they had telescopes, all of a sudden, wow, there were some really big leaps made and there were some really, we found out there were some really wrong answers having been given about what was up in the sky. You know, it turns out those things aren't a representation of a sheep. It's actually stars and planets and galaxies really far away. <laughs> so, um, so, so the guys that, that had the best of intentions and were doing the best they could at some point, it turns out that, you know, some of the things they were doing really have no application in real world defensive shooting. So when, when the dash camera videos, which, you know, in the old, the, that analogy, that's the telescope. When we start seeing actual fights, you know, we know the, the research is there. We know people don't form memories the same way when they're in a fight as they do when they're in training or they do when they're sitting around just talking or like we are right now. So taking a firsthand 
account, you know, any police officer, any office, any law, uh, any anybody in the legal system will tell you eyewitness testimony is the least reliable form of evidence around. So with all due respect, somebody telling me how they fought their gunfight mm-hmm. when I have a video that shows me, you know, 500 gunfight examples uh, over the course of a decade and none of them look like what you told me you did in your fight. Maybe, maybe that was an anomaly, but also maybe we have to accept the fallibility of human recollection and the, the propensity we have for filling the gaps in with our expectations. So if we trained a certain way and we survived the gunfight, it's real easy to draw the conclusion that we must have done what we trained to do. And in fact, we, we now have lots and lots of video evidence that that's just not what happens. And at the same time, we also got a lot of data from reality-based training, you know, high-level, marking cartridge-empowered, good role-player-facilitated uh, and well-instructor-run reality-based training also reveals the flaws in a lot of the old mechanical training techniques. So all this was happening at the same time that I was really starting to put my stuff together, and I was lucky to run into a, um, some guys. One guy right there in Nashville, his name was Hector Martinez. Um, he was a... Uh, uh, Marine uh, instructor down at uh, Fort McClellan at the PSD school when it was still down there in Alabama. And he he had some really innovative ideas and approaches to teaching uh, live fire uh, simulations on the range that were more realistic than a lot of the drills that, you know, came out of the the early days of the industry, uh, the El Presidente and things like that. And uh, I got to work with him and we, we collaborated on a lot of really cool stuff. Um, unfortunately he passed way too soon and, and, uh, otherwise I like to, I like to think of him as one of the guys that inspired a lot of the early work I did. And I wish he had been more of a collaborator over the long term. Um, and then, and bumping in other guys, eventually by the time you get to about 2000, 2001, I, I am definitely approaching things differently, but I'm still teaching in the traditional model, you know, teaching sighted fire, teaching, um, stance in a certain way, talking about, choreography and prediction that I now just don't believe we ha- we're going to have the advantage of in a fight. And we get to 2003 when I'm out at the Valhalla Training Center, which which was never really designed to be a training center. It had been designed to be a shooting club, first and foremost, attached to a five-star resort. <laughs> and here I am with this, you know, by 2004, we're doing, I've got contracts with you know, U.S. Special Forces to do extreme close quarters counter ambush training. And at the same time, we've got this resort property that starts putting recreational clients into this machine that we had we had developed. Disaster. And it turned no, it was awesome because what it turned into was those recreational um, clients became my white mice. Oh. <laughs> I can't take I can't take somebody who's paying me money for life and death skills and, and experiment with them. Right. I right. can't take green berets and say, Hey, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's try it. Right. Right. So, and, and honestly that no professional instructor can. So in the past, what I, what I, in talking to the guys that, that really built this industry, what, what I think happens is in order to develop new drills or to try to develop new concepts or new techniques, the people that we always practice with, or we develop with are our trusted students or our cadre of instructors, you know, people who really have a huge, um, pile of baggage essentially that they bring with them and a whole bunch of preconceptions and maybe misconceptions. So I got these guys like, you know, rich guys from New York or LA that would come in and they just wanted to shoot in the maze. They wanted to go through this really cool 360 degree shoot house and have their picture taken and tell their friends about it. 
So for me, all I owed them was a smile and no extra holes. So, <laughs> so we got to experiment with how can we strip this down? How can we make this more efficient? How can I take somebody who's never shot a handgun and make them effective and maybe even efficient moving through a 360-degree live-fire shoot house with interactive and reactive targets, some of the most advanced you know, training areas that have ever existed in this country. But we were giving them the people as a, as a recreational experience between training days. And, uh, and that's, that was a lot of the proof. That was a lot of the, the experimentation and, and the, the knowledge that, hey, wow, this really works. And it works much more efficiently than the old training model. So we flipped everything upside down. We teach unsighted fire first. We teach kinesthetic alignment. We teach people to work well with what their body does naturally. And also in, the, in that same early 2000s time period, I had bumped into Tony Blauer um, because I saw his training gear. And I was using his training gear in reality-based close quarters training. And I called him up and said, hey, man, your gear is awesome. I was writing for SWAT magazine at the time. I wanted to write an article about it. The first time I talked to him on the phone, we spent two hours talking about training ideas. And he was able to really help me articulate some things that, that had maybe been assumptions or intuitive guesses because his work in the martial arts world revolved around counter ambush and, and integrating what happens when the body gets caught off guard and the brain gets caught off guard into the beginning of your learned responses. Yeah, so I, that, I read a book called Counter Ambush once. It's pretty yeah, good. So, you ought yeah, to check it out sometime. Yes. <laughs> so in, the, in that book, I talk about the beginning <laughs> of that work with, with Tony and then the evolution from there, which was a great great introduction to that because he, he was so far ahead. He had done 10 years of research in the martial arts world. And then, so taking what he had done, working with him, meeting a lot of other guys that were thinking along the same lines, and then applying that to what we were already doing in the intuitive skill development, and then going even further and further and further because of the laboratory we had out in Colorado and working with some great guys, you know, Brad Shupin, who was a lifetime NRA you know, old school mechanical instructor. He, he was uh, running things at the Whittington Center before he came to work with me at Valhalla. Um, some Navy Special Warfare guys, Jeremiah Miles and John Brown, who both got out of active duty. Uh, one of them was a SEAL qualification training uh, instructor, and uh, Jeremiah had, had been with the teams on deployments, the combat deployments, decorated, came back, and they they helped develop this process also and, and really were incredibly important in the early days. And you know, now we've got, you know, three dozen um, very active instructors in the private sector and probably another 50 or 60 uh, in the military law enforcement realm that, that just teach with their units. And the whole team is constantly evolving and pushing and asking questions and challenging the material. And obviously, we get a lot of challenge from the industry because we are teaching something that's, that's different. It's not the way it's always been done. And, and in, in our world, that, that isn't always accepted. So, so we get a lot of constant challenge, and, and that's why our, our kind of catchphrase for the 10th anniversary is still evolving because, nice. because we are. Really? I would think you would go with gun foo. <laughs> I love that out of your counter ambush, uh, the forward by the, uh, was it the lieutenant colonel? Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman wrote a very generous uh, and complimentary uh, foreword. He, uh, he and I are now collaborating uh, as part of the Sheepdog Seminars Tour, um, but he had some really nice things to say. I, I was, uh, I, it's very humbling when someone that, you know, when I graduated from the police academy up in Virginia, I gave a speech, I gave the graduation speech for our platoon, and I referenced Grossman and his sheepdog analogy in that speech, you know, and now to be, to be sharing a stage with him in November and have him writing the foreword for my book is is really amazing. You know, there's, there's things I look at in my career 
you know, uh, being asked to, to establish this program and getting the, the recurring contract with, with Green Berets, you know, never would have dreamed anything like that would happen. Uh, being involved in a program with Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, never would have dreamed that would happen. Talking to you guys yeah. has been a dream of mine since, you know, last <laughs> Since May? <laughs> Was yeah. it a dream or a nightmare? <laughs> so, so you mentioned uh, with the combat-focused shooting, y'all kind of turned everything upside down in the training world, and you, you literally turned everything upside down with your uh, CrossFit uh, shot fit. <laughs> Shoot, shoot fit crossing people call that everything but fit shot i know fit that's shot. why i said it because left hand can never get it right shot yeah, i've got shot. it man i've been practicing that ever since we did those videos with uh we got that was fun it, you was know awesome. we do that in our we we introduce people to that in our advanced pistol handling class um we have a dvd coming out fit shot level one um exercises we have it in, we have a coaching certification program that we do now y'all uh, did y'all did do a better job than what the youtube video was right a little bit it okay. looks a little bit <laughs> A little, little bit more professional, less eighties, <laughs> less, yeah, less, less grunting, yes. really. Yes. That. Uh, it was a, um, it's it's been a little side project of mine. You know, I, I think if people are going to take personal defense seriously, they need to take their fitness and their health seriously. Yep. And that's what that's what that program was. It really started as a YouTube video that me and some some guys who are good shooters and and CrossFitters. Uh, shot at, we called it the range workout and then it got so much attention and people started asking so many questions and honestly again it was the challenge that that really caused the the evolution because people well that's dumb yeah. that's even even some of saying it was dangerous and you know it, it, there is a certain amount of you know professional driver on a closed course in that original video but the the concept and the underlying value of of integrating your your firearms training with fitness if for no other reason, and really the primary reason of motivating more fitness in the shooting community, then then there's something there. And that was uh, a little over two years ago. And and now we're uh, you know at, at the conference this year we're ho- we're actually going to be uh, hosting the first dynamic shooting taping seminar uh, from the company called Rock Tape, which anybody who's into fitness or CrossFit or sports science they know about uh, kinesiology tape and mm-hmm. how works for for therapy Mm -hmm. to to maintain pain or to prevent or help heal injuries well now um a guy named brandon trujillo out in um uh utah uh, a a guy who does nothing his life he's a chiropractor he's a uh he does rehabilitation he helps people move better he helps people learn how to move and and come back from injuries that's what he does and he has been working with alessandro padovane and omari broussard as part of the combat focused shooting team uh out in california to develop a way to help firearms instructors use this tape to increase the value of each rep, especially for students who are having problems where we need to correct some some of the gross motor skill stuff. And uh, it's just amazing what, what these guys are doing, applying the science of how this tape works to what we're doing on the range. And obviously CFS, because it's an intuitive, experiential program, lends itself very well to techniques like that so so we're getting more and more involved in fitness um, i'm working with a company called stroops we just developed uh an elastic resistance uh training device that shooters can use to to help build the muscles that they're going to use to be in their defensive shooting moment and it even has application for competition shooters so the fit shot program is is not a it's not a big you know money making empire kind of thing but it's it's a motivating thing that that we like to do to, to remind us that the personal defense is about a lot more than just the shooting. Well, all joking aside, I mean, we had a we had a blast doing those videos, and we had a little joke at the end of them. But I tell you what, 
just from doing those those crunches and the sit-ups and then the squats, I had a little revelation. I need to get in better shape. And I think it was you that even said, you know, how are you going to be able to jump up and defend yourself when you can't even jump up off the couch from eating your Doritos to, to I love Doritos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe it was Cheetos. I could be yeah. wrong. <laughs> right. But, yeah, you know, but yeah, it, more it, than it, you know, Rob, that hit home to both of us. Oh, and yeah. we have both started a, uh, you know, gotten back into our physical fitness regimes. Awesome. Well, you know, my daughter, of course, she lives in Nashville. Yeah. And uh, you met her, and she's she's going off to get her uh, CrossFit coaching uh, certification uh, sometime Good within for the next her. few months. We're going to try to get her through that. So you, you we'll send her over That's there. That's not easy that. to get either. That's tough. Yeah. yeah, she's she's been real serious. She she works out um, at one of the CrossFit gyms uh, just north of Nashville, and and uh, really has been very very serious about it. And she's actually going to school now for exercise science. So Good for her, awesome. she'll uh, be able to motivate you guys a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe that's what well, we'll use her for in the videos to come scream at us while we're trying. to We work want out. to <laughs> invite you to a uh, a little thing that we've got coming up next June. Oh, yeah, Do you know yeah, what yeah. a tough mutter is? Uh, yeah, you know I've never. I've never done I, – well, I take it back. I have not done one of those adventure races since 1992. You do. Nashville, I, I June good. 7th. Yeah, Nashville, June 7th, the Tough Mudder. It's going to be me and Zeke, uh, a couple of other people from our, our network, Carol Salva, who does the Fat to Fit. Zach program. Carlson from Lone Zach Wolf Carlson, I think, uh, is Jim Irwin going to join Jim us Jim Irwin's going to do it. Yeah. Megan's going to come down. Zach from Lone Wolf? Yeah, yeah, he's going to do it with us. Zach, yep. Zach, Zach probably – Zach hates me because I'm so busy. I'm not <laughs> – but Zach should he should be mad at me. He wanted he came to me. He was really excited about Fit Shot and wanted to get involved with with that. And I I've been watching what they've been doing yeah. and it's great. And I just I wasn't able to participate with their program as much as I originally wanted to, but I, I love the fact that they are, you know, doing the same thing. They're motivating people to get sure. better. Yeah. And uh, and they're doing a good job at it. So that's very cool. Yeah. So we've taken taking it upon ourselves as a network to practice what we preach. One of the kind of the proof in the pudding is going to be that tough mutter. But we're doing it as a team. So well, yeah, no man left behind. We did an event in 1992 called the Tour de Hell. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it was 10 events. It was uh, 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 Master Sergeant and the Green Berets had, had come up with this brilliant idea to do this event. And it was four-man teams. But by the third event, which was going up a muddy ski hill with like running up a muddy ski hill, which doesn't work really well, by that event – Everybody decided it was it was just get through it, just survive it. And yeah. I don't remember. It was like forty percent of the people that started it ended up finishing it. Nobody cared who won. It was it was all about you know we were just helping finishing each other it, yeah, the hill and just getting through it. And it was amazing. It was it was really cool. And having done that, I felt like okay, I'm I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty years later, I might want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Come join us. We'll, we'll probably walk half of it anyways. Oh, <laughs> uh, not if I'm there, you won't. Well then, now we definitely need you to join us. Oh, the cross country tour, but I, I'll I'll check the date. June seventh. Check June it 7th, out. Yeah. So now it's time for facts, facts of fight the myth. And our guest will get the honors. Rob, what's your fact to fight the myth? Fact to fight the myth. Uh, I, we talked about it earlier. This idea that you know there are some of these mechanical ideas that um, came out of the early days of defensive shooting instruction that I just think aren't held up by the facts. And let's, let's go with keep both eyes open while you're using your sights so you can maintain your peripheral vision. That's a, a, this myth that sounds great unless you understand vision and or fights. And if you understand both, it really doesn't hold up because in a fight, our brain tends to, to focus on the 
information coming from the center of our field of vision and really not pay a lot of attention to our peripheral vision in terms of uh, analytical cognitive processing. And the reason that it's, it's disregarded is because our peripheral vision is set up to, to pick up on small, subtle changes in reflected light and movement. And that's what focuses our attention. So our peripheral vision is really set up as an early warning system that gets the center of our field of vision focused on the threat or the stimulus. And, and if it's a threat, then it holds our attention. So once we're focused on that threat, we're not picking things up in our peripheral vision anyway. And then when you add in focusing on your front sight for a sighted shot, if you keep both eyes open at that moment, you're going to end up with two images of the threat. And anybody can experience this on a shooting range. If you put a, a six-inch target out and go stand 20 feet away from it, six inches kind of being like a human head, drive that gun out, put both eyes on the sights open, focused on that front sight, and there's going to be two images of that six-inch target behind you. You obviously don't want to have to pick which target to shoot at. And it's real easy. Close an eye, have one eye, you won't get two images, and you can shoot much more efficiently. Thank you so much for that. Because I've always, when people have said keep your both eyes open, that's never really registered with me because of what you just said. Yeah, your like physics your, and anatomy your, are cool. Yeah, your your peripheral vision is gone when your adrenaline starts flowing. And so if I can shoot better with my dominant eye only open, why am I learning to shoot with both eyes? But we don't we're not the experts, so I've just listened to people say it and I'm kinda like, okay. Well you've even seen those competition shooters, they've got those little blinds that they put over their eyes sometime too. Yeah. Nope. Even though they keep their eye open, they've got that there. Okay. A lot of that has to do with with dominance. You know, like a trap shooter will will put scotch tape over that left eye. So you still have both eyes to pick up the, the bird. Yeah. But when it comes to fine focus on that bead, your brain's going to default to the eye that doesn't have the, the blurred side of the lens going through it, even if your eye, your brain normally prefers that other eye. Because eye dominance is misunderstood a lot, too. And, and the fact is it's not like you're blind in one eye. Right. One eye is 5% better. Right. So you obscure that vision a little bit. It's a whole hell of a lot easier to just shoot with your right hand if you're right-handed and you're trying to do sporting clays than it is to learn to shoot left-handed. But in order to keep your brain from from sort of screwing you up, you just you just fog up that that other lens. Or you or you get a cataract. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's left hand's easy way that's, out. That's my easy way out. I've got a cataract. So I don't need that scotch tape. Yeah, I mean, I, I experienced that when I was shooting skeet two three weeks ago. I was trying to keep both eyes open and I wasn't hitting the broadside of a barn. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm left eye dominant, but I'm going to go ahead and close my left eye, put my right, because I'm right handed. Sure. And exactly. I started hitting every single bird that went through there. And I'm I was like, you, you know what? Okay. Physics and anatomy. Who knew? Yep. <laughs> well, my fact to fight the myth, I'm going to stick with the training thing since Rob's here with us. Uh, the myth being, oh, I don't need firearms training. I've been shooting since I was a little kid. I hunt, I read books, I watch TV shows. That's a myth. We've learned from, you know, whether it be Rob or James Yeager or Aaron from Aaron. Sage Dynamics, you never can learn enough in firearms and personal defense training. Every class you go to in every single school, you're going to learn something different mm -hmm. that's going to benefit you in some way. So it's the only way you get better in anything in life is you've got to constantly want to learn something new about it. You know, just like you keep referring to Paul Markle, which he's a good source, is you know, you got to be a student of the gun. And that means constantly learning and improving. And speaking of Aaron, this this is kind of going to be my segment for the fact to fight the myth. We had Aaron Cowan on the show 
last week. You know who that is with the Sage Dynamic or uh, yeah, Sage Dynamics. Talking right. to me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm talking <laughs> to you? Yeah, I'm talking I to you. Conversation. <laughs> I, yes, yes, I do. You, and you can debunk this myth or not, but uh, appendix carrying is dangerous because you're going to shoot your junk off. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> We're just trying to create a little debate between you because he was like, you know what? I love Rob Pincus. I agree with everything. You know, we, we teach a lot of the same things. And I was like, yeah, cool, except for appendix carry. I, luckily, I have a video at personaldefensenetwork.com that people can take a look at. Um, I think it's like anything else. You can do it wrong and you have a problem. But at the end of the day, if you do it right, just like carrying anywhere else inside the waistband, it's not any more dangerous. And in fact, it may very well be a lot safer because if you think about it, how many of us have seen that person that's carrying at the four o'clock or the five o'clock who covers their entire torso because they have that gun angled in every time they draw or put the gun back in the holster? Mm-hmm. True. Because you have to cross your body because you're carrying the gun behind you, the propensity for that to happen is obviously much higher. However, with appendix carry, when you draw the gun straight up out of the holster, the muzzle is already aligned in front of your body. So it's almost impossible once the gun's out of the holster for you to cover yourself. So if you're using a good holster and you're using proper technique, I really think appendix carry presents a much lower likelihood that you will shoot yourself in the junk or otherwise. <laughs> we're we're going to have to have both of y'all back on the show for an appendix carry episode and the just get like a carry nice battle. little debate going. <laughs> Actually, you know, that's another reason I wanted to start getting back in shape because after we did those videos with you, I tried to start appendix carrying. Well, it was all fine and dandy while I was standing up. But as soon oh, as I yeah. sat down, my gut just dug right into it. And I was like, okay, I got to lose some weight before I start doing well, this. Historically, I only used appendix carry when I was in a going to be in a crowd situation. Sure. And wanted to maintain kind of a, you know, obviously a low profile and not worrying about anybody bumping into me. And, and, and several times in like executive protection situations where I was not in a suit, not in a high profile thing, but in a low profile thing trying to blend in with just an untucked shirt covering a J-frame or a small Glock in the appendix position. So I always saw it as like a specialty novelty position for that that specific uh, you know time. Mm-hmm. And, and really only in the last few years, um, seeing other people using it and then starting to see a lot of students use it, um, I'd say I, I probably switched to doing that exclusively, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago, I guess, maybe. But it's, uh, it's amazing how, how we evolved was something that I saw at one point and, and thought, wow, that just doesn't make any sense in general, but there, there's a time and place for it. Or even things that I've thought, wow, there's no place for that at all. And then realize, wow, how wrong I was. And we love you, Aaron. We're not throwing a jab at you. We're just getting two sides of it. Aaron's a good guy. We like him a lot. Yeah. And and I've started doing appendix carry when I'm in a standing position. But if I go to sitting, I'll move my holster back over to my side. I think I think that creates some issues, you know, as far as consistency. I, mm-hmm. I like to see people carry in one place and, and maximize the value of their training and their consistency. So if if appendix isn't right for you, then appendix isn't right for you. You know, like yeah. like I said, I, I've evolved a lot. But it's a matter of comfort for me, though. When I'm standing, it's more comfortable when I move it over to the appendix. But then when I'm sitting, like if I'm driving or something like that, then I scoot it back over to my side. And are you putting it at like the 3 o'clock or are you moving all the way back to 4 o'clock? It's, it's just a little past the 3 o'clock. Yeah. yeah Not much. But I mean, I can still get to it just fine. 
everybody's going to find what works for them. Um, it's just really important that you practice in both positions. Now, obviously, what that would mean for consistency's sake is when you're you know you're on the range practicing standing, go from appendix. When you're practicing from a chair or sitting on the ground, um, go from the three. Well, from a chair, you'd probably do from the side, but sitting on the ground, you might want to do both because you could always get knocked down. Right. Be in a seated position on the ground and have to go from her appendix. Last week, we had a trivia question from Aaron Cowan, Sage Dynamics, from we one did. of his YouTube videos. The answer was tap rack on a double feed malfunction. That mm. was the, That's the answer. quoted answer from the YouTube video. And the winner was Justin A. Justin A., if you could send us your contact information, and we'll make sure Aaron sends you that DVD out. Just send it to talkingled at gmail.com. I know you had some issues with the email before. And you and, know what was pointed out to me? What's that? You know, we did that little uh, after reel kind of thing at the end of the Yeah, I was playing week. the video during You're that. playing the video in the back, and the answer was, uh, was in the back. Uh, our, our buddy at the armory told me about that. Yeah. <laughs> He told me to. <laughs> uh, this week, we're not going to have a trivia question because we're doing something to help our buddy Rob out. And he's wanting to see his Facebook page hit 20,000 well, likes. The gauntlet's been thrown down. He's challenged us. He, so. Yeah, okay. I'm so, trying to make it sound nice. He challenged us. No, he challenged us. <laughs> you know, the gloves are off, so we've, we've, got to, uh, we've got to prove him. You know, we've got to prove ourselves. So, Leadheads, you got to help us out here. He's wanting to get to 20,000 likes on his Facebook page. He'd like to see it by Saturday. Most of y'all be listening to this Friday night and Saturday morning. Yeah. What we're going to do is a little motivation. If you go to Rob Pincus's Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Rob Pincus Pro. That's right, Rob, right? That's the pro page. Yep, okay, so pro. Rob Pincus Pro. Click like. When you go there, post a comment saying, Talking Lead sent me. We'll get with Rob after all this is done, and we'll do a drawing. And we've got a bunch of personal defense network and ICE training. We're going to give swag. you a whole slew. We're going to give you a big prize pack. Rob Pincus's books, The Counter Ambush, The uh, Combat Focus Shooting, which you've heard us talk about today. DVD. Uh, DVDs. We've got some patches. T-shirts we're going to hook you up with. A little poker chip. Guys, go there. we got to push him over 20000 before Monday. And when we do that drawing, the winner's going to get a nice stash of good stuff from Rob Pincus. So remember, Facebook.com slash Rob Pincus Pro. And let's get that done for Show him. Show him Leadhead Nation is out there. And let's go ahead and thank our sponsors again. We've got Firearms Radio Network, our bandwidth sponsor, firearmsradio.tv. ICE Training. That's icetraining.us. And not ice training. It's not ice. <laughs> it's ICE training. Did you guys see I came out with ICE coffee now? Did you really? <laughs> Did yeah, you really? I, got, I have ICE coffee because I have a, a, a lot good friends of mine own the Bexley Coffee Shop at home, and that is what fuels my, my craziness. It's my like office uh, when I'm back home in Ohio. <laughs> That's awesome. And, awesome. They private lab, they roast this coffee that's amazing. And I really just did it kind of almost as a joke for myself and a few friends. Uh-huh. And because of all this this craziness that happened this week with everybody talking about coffee and yeah. open kettle and everything else, I said, you know what? We're putting it in the store. Go. Nice. So you're, for somebody gonna, who doesn't want to be called ICE, yeah, you're, you're, you're going out of your way to screw people up. yourself on that one. <laughs> it says, it, it's on the label. It says ICE coffee. Drink your ICE coffee hot. <laughs> That's oh my awesome. gosh! Now, is it a dark roast? Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to order some then. All right, and then you can tell me if you like it. Then you got to tell everybody where to get it. Okay, I'll do it. And All then right. we also have US Elite Gear. That's US Elite Gear dot com. 
Holder and Groom Professional Real Estate Services, HG Press, for all your Middle Tennessee real estate needs. Contact. Give those guys a call at 1-800-615-1840, extension 2222. All or Nothing Tattoo Company. That's allornothingtattoo.com and their gun-friendly merchandise store, strangleholdmerch.com. And I'd like to give a shout-out to our buddies at the Nashville Armory. I love those guys. Thanks to everything Nashville Armory has done for us. Doors and continues to do like. for us. And don't forget, if you want to grow your hair out with us, go to hawkslocksforkids.org. That's the organization. Find out more information. If you want to do it with us, start growing your hair now. We're going to do it for a year. Or if you don't feel like growing your hair like Rob, then you can just uh, go to those guys' website and you can donate. Rob, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to to doing more with you guys. I'm really proud to sponsor the show. You guys are doing great work, and and you're good guys. And I hope uh, I know you're going to be moving around a lot, talking to a lot of people at a lot of events, and I encourage everybody to uh, get some time to hang out with you guys on the range. Good time. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, bud. And as always, left hand, keep your loved ones close. Keep your firearms closer.